0: This is Who She Knows,
1: a podcast produced by She Knows Media. This is your host, Elisa Camahor-Page, Chief Community Officer at She Knows Media. So welcome to our first episode, where we'll be talking about my second favorite F-word, feminism. Last year, She Knows Media launched a new initiative called The F-Word to fire up a conversation about feminism and what it means to women. We fielded a nationwide survey asking people if they identify with the word feminism and why or why not. We also wanted to learn what feminism as a movement has achieved for women's daily lives and what work remains. More than 1,600 people responded, 98% of them women. The majority of women agreed with the dictionary definition that feminism meant the belief that women and men should have equal rights and opportunities. And women have definitely benefited from increased rights for women, like the ability to vote, to use birth control, to get a credit card in their own name. Even so, there are women who don't strongly identify as feminists, usually because they feel excluded from its advocacy. As part of exploring these conflicting feelings about feminism— We recently held a competition for people to submit a short video that addressed their perspective on it. In today's show, I'll be speaking to one of the winners of that contest, Caitlin Young, as well as one of our judges, Jamia Wilson, Executive Director of Women Action in the Media, and a longtime feminist, activist, and thought leader. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So along with your partner, Alex Regulato, you submitted your video, Parts of Me, which won the F Word video contest. So congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting. So can you just give us a quick description of your film from your perspective? In our film,
0: what we do is we focus and
1: highlight different parts of body parts.
0: So it'll be um, a shoulder or knees. And we try and talk about how that seemingly harmless part of someone's body can keep them from something in society or opportunities and how feminism to us is a world where that does not happen, where you're not excluded for different parts of your body or your gender. And then we move on in the second half to focus on parts of women's character and how different body parts really symbolize that. So a bicep showing how women Um, are able to lift up people in their community, etc., and focus on how feminism to us is that our part in this world is based on our character and the decisions we make and not just on body parts.
1: You know, what was so interesting about the way you told the story was there were there was imagery and voiceover and then animation kind of overlaid. Where did that idea come from? Had you used that technique before? What inspired that? We actually had to learn how to do that for this video.
0: Um, what happened was, oh, wow. right when we had the original idea, we had shot the body parts and the storytelling. And when we were watching the film, it was almost like showing the different parts of the body. It was hard to tell what we were focusing on, which I think is part of our point that just showing a bare shoulder and saying this part of me keeps me out of class. People still weren't able to understand weight. Wait, what are you saying? What What is keeping you out of cl- the class? Which I think was kind of part of our point that this doesn't actually make sense when you look at it alone. So we add it. Mm-hmm. We try to think of ways to add um, cues to really show people like it's this shoulder right here. This little part is keeping a girl from learning in class.
1: What What do you think what keeps you up most at night about all these issues that we face?
0: The one for me that I'm the most passionate about, I would say is that education piece. So we Mm. do talk about how like dress codes keep you out of class, but I think even wider how women and girls worldwide are barred from getting an education or don't have the opportunity is something that really um, is close to my heart and something I'm passionate about. Specifically, female literacy, I think, is something that is very, very important as that ability to read and write really crosses over in so many aspects
1: of a woman and girl's life um, from economic opportunities, education, etc. When you heard about this contest and you and Alex decided to submit and you were working on this video... Did you learn anything about feminism or, or even learn anything about how you feel about feminism that you didn't know before and that surprised you?
0: In creating this video, we tried to talk to as many people as possible to understand how feminism affects them and figure out what story we wanted to tell. And so I think this process really opened my eyes into all the intersections within feminism and really um, helped me better understand different aspects and how race plays a factor into um, different aspects of feminism, your sexual orientation, etc. Well, that
1: plays so directly into some research that we did around feminism while we were running the contest where it found that the women who articulated that they were not feminists, and and usually the foundational reason was because they didn't see themselves as being represented by the movement. It's not that they didn't believe in the principles. It's that they didn't see that it was about them. They didn't think it was for them. They saw it sort of activating on behalf of other people, and that was often because Some feminism isn't, isn't executed in the most intersectional fashion. And we came to that through analyzing the data and you came to that through a work of art. And I guess that, that's the beauty of all of these things is that we can come to the, these conclusions, um, a lot of different ways and learn how to move forward. Right. Absolutely. And I will say that was
0: something that was really exciting to us to do this competition was that we saw it as an opportunity to really educate people on what feminism is in that it is very accepting and um, beyond some maybe of the more um like stereotypical narrow um, definitions of what feminism is and try and open as many mm-hmm. eyes we could to all the avenues it
1: takes. Like what's one specific example of someone who just had a perspective you had really not considered before?
0: I would say one that absolutely stuck with me is when we were shooting the scenes about skin color and how your race can affect the different privileges you have. Um, We just heard lots of stories from all the different participants about how um, prevalent that issue is in their life. One of my friends mentioned that when she goes on to um, rental websites for vacations, her profile picture is of her face, um, and she has darker skin. And so she has always had harder times renting different um, vacation homes, et cetera. And so she, for a while, when she had her name, which is more of an ethnic name, um, she would have a very hard time actually getting any um reservations confirmed. And so she now has a new system that she puts in place every time she goes on vacation, where she outlines a little bit about her education, what she does for a living. Um, She's changed her name to be her middle name, which is more of a um, anglicized name um, and has not been turned down once.
1: So, wow, that's well, I knew the stats about resumes and jobs, but to have it. um, And of course, I knew there's the whole cab issue in big cities about who cabs, obviously are supposed to stop for everyone, but in practice don't. But, you know, as we head into this, um, you know, that's why these laws about freedom to reject services are, are really of concern. And especially as we head more into what people sometimes call the gig economy you know, where individuals are, you know, every service can be done one-on-one with an individual who's not really the employee of a big company. You may not like big companies, but usually big companies have some sort of policies that are anti-discriminatory. I've thought of a lot of other things about the gig economy that give me pause, but I hadn't thought of that that way until you just told that story. So that is some uncomfortable food for thought. Right, right. Absolutely. Congratulations to you and Alex. And I want to mention that Alex okay, Alex, and Caitlin will both be at the Blacker Conference this summer in Los Angeles. And Alex is going to be joining a panel about, you guessed it, the F word. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. Caitlin and Alex's video combining images and animation was just one of the really creative ways people express their perspectives on feminism. And our next guest, Jamea Wilson, reviewed all of our finalists as part of our judging panel. So Jamia... You've been at the forefront of feminist activism for years at places like the Women's Media Center and now Women Action in the media. So I have to ask you, what stuck with you and really spoke to you about the submissions you reviewed for the F Word video contest?
2: Parts of Me was my favorite video, so I was very excited to see that it resonated with other people as well. that worked out then. And it worked out really well. I think that the thread um, that ties all of them together for me was that there's not just one approach to feminism, that we have different theories of change, but we all want the same goal of equality. We all want the same goal of justice. And so for me to see all these different interpretations, lenses of how to get there even though we might have different ways to get there, that we have this same final destination that we're looking toward was exciting. And I, I think that that's also how I view feminism, that I think there's multiple feminisms and that we can exist together within well, that them. that
1: really aligns with the results we saw in our uh, study about the F-word that we did earlier this year. Something that was so striking was the sense that most women, almost all women, understood the definition, you know, equal rights and opportunities for women. But not all women thought that feminism, quote-unquote, was for them. And the women that felt... that didn't identify as feminist kind of fell into two camps. Uh, There were women of color who felt that they were excluded from the feminist movement. They perceived it as being for white women, but yet they believed in the philosophy. They believed in the outcome. And then on the other hand, there were conservative, stay-at-home white moms who also didn't think the movement was for them. In fact, perceived it as being almost hostile to their lifestyle because they're not in the workforce. They're not thinking about equal pay. And they're also not really worried about reproductive rights. And so again, it was just this feeling of that's not for me. So it sounds like these conflicted perspectives don't really surprise you. And I'm wondering what you see as the path for the feminist movement to kind of bring those conflicted women into the movement.
2: I think when I hear people express their conflicts, that that is just a sign for possibility and progress that a lot of times people need more nuanced understanding of where they fit into a movement and need to understand that it's not about Ideological purity Or mm-hmm. this idea that you have to do everything right I've heard a lot of people say Well I'm not a good enough feminist but," Or I don't do the following thing And I feel like I'm contradictory here So I, I can't play at all Or think about these ideals Or identify with them And I think that there's more room for nuance with that That, that really feminism can bring us all in in different ways so I've heard people talk about having their feminist click moment for example that moment of awareness that made them understand their identity and and how it meant that they saw the world or how other people might see them or perceive their place in it. And I see feminist work from people who have never called themselves feminists in their lives, who are doing great work on immigration, who are doing great work on economic justice issues, who are doing great work on the environment. And it's feminist work because every issue is a woman's issue. And so for me, it's more about working with those people who are making equality possible um, and also... Organizing the people who believe in equality more so than the labels that they call themselves. Would I love for everyone to call themselves feminists of all genders? Absolutely, because I I truly believe that feminism is about the economic, political, cultural equality of all genders or just around believing that we have the right to human dignity, just like anyone else um, who happens to be born male. But I think that uh, I'm less concerned about making people fit into a box and more about understanding how to make them feel included in the movement.
1: Well, I really think that... There is no box, right? And what was interesting to me about the survey results is that lots of women said, yes, I can be a feminist and be girly. Yes, I can be a feminist and love men. And in fact, think men should be, should benefit from feminism. Um, and yet what was interesting is that the women who got more of their information and perspective on feminism from media like television, 're the ones least likely to identify as feminists, so I think we also you 're working now uh, very much focused on media and I think we have to look at what 's the role that media, particularly television is playing in telling women what a feminist has to be and what box they have to be in and and maybe distorting what feminism is actually supposed to be by, by the definition that you mentioned.
2: I'm so glad that you said that because I, I have a friend. I went to this all-girls boarding school that was started by Blue Stocking Feminists. So, oh. um, and she said that she had a guy on Tinder say that, um, that he was going to insult her by calling her a feminist and that she thought that was really funny. And a bunch of us were kind of laughing about it that... Um, He was insulting her self-possession, insulting her dignity, insulting her leadership, (laughs) and all these Uh things that feminism mean to me. But I think what you're saying is absolutely right, that um, there's a mischaracterization of what feminism is about, what it means, and who um,
1: it proceeds to who, who people perceive it to exclude or include? I think you're probably right that um, we can get a lot further on all those issues which as you, as you say are women 's issues by not worrying so much about a word that other people have corrupted and like maybe that's not the big problem, but I think one one thing that really struck me was this this perception of what feminists care about and if if you're right that all issues are women 's issues at their heart, like what is To you, what's the top priority to really do something for women's and girls' rights around the world? I mean, let's think globally. What do you think is the one, if you had to pick one, and I know that's like a terrible thing to ask, but like, what's the one thing?
2: Economic justice. And I believe that issue, without saying that the economic justice lens that is blind to um, race, race and, and culture and gender yeah. and how those things play into it, because that's a very important st- distinction to make, especially in the political conversation and moment yes. that we're having right now. Um, and the reason I say that is because I, there are people who are a generation before me who have often said that reproductive justice was the main issue. And I believe that that, that, that fundamentally is a very important issue because the right to control one's reproduction is at the crux of whether or not women can fully have autonomy, autonomy, live their potential. Exactly. But I think that economic justice is tied to that. And so, um, I have said when I've talked to some mentors and other people that I've engaged with, who've, been saying that to say, well, you know, for me, the biggest feminist issue in my life right now is my student loan debt. And that debt has dictated the fact that I have not had a child yet because childcare is so expensive right now. Rent is very high where I live. I have the student loan that needs to be paid and all the things that are connected to that. And, that fundamentally that I think that the pay gap and the fact that women aren't paid equally and black women even less that yes. so paid equally, all of that is tied together and that's connected to my reproductive rights. That's connected in my family. I've seen many women um, experience autoimmune health issues, including myself, um, and I've seen my grandmother um, also as a survivor of breast cancer in a community where a lot of other people um, had cancers that they thought were environmentally that related. Like
1: environmental justice might be part of the equation in that respect.
2: Exactly, and it's also connected to economic justice because these were neighborhoods where plants were built because they were neighborhoods with low-income people who didn't have the positioning or funds to be able to push back and lobby for them not to be there, and so I think that... All of these things are really connected to this issue of the economy and the reproduction when I think of the history of my people as an African-American and, um the means of production being our bodies, (laughs) that, you know, black women having um, children and being forced to breed children as being a part of the economy is why the reproductive issue is so important to me is also connected to the economic piece. So I think that that's why it's a very central issue that I connect to all of the other issues.
1: Since you brought up the election and and I'm happy to talk about it, um, you know, we are a couple months out from the conventions on either side. We're still six months out from the general election election, we asked the women in our study, um, the beginning of this year, are you ready for a woman president and do you think America is ready now? I mean, that's a, that ready for question. We all know it's vague. All media outlets kind of use that same language and it can mean different things to different people. And also if you have to remember back in the beginning of this year, there were way more candidates. I mean, there were still, we asked about, I don't know, 15 to 20 different candidates separately as a separate thing. So this question wasn't about Hillary, particularly Carly was still in the race as an example. Um, and I was really struck by, overall, women were ready to a pretty significant degree, um, and their, their confidence that America was ready dropped by 15 to 20 points. Um, and when you, we just recently compared the responses from women who supported Clinton versus women who supported Trump, and the Trump supporters weren't personally ready, nor did they think America was ready, and you know given where the election stands right now i'm really curious about why you think that is what what could it possibly take you know women are leading other nations women are leading not to the degree we want but you know they're leading fortune 500 companies they're leading other nations What's it going to take?
2: Well, I think just what I've been hearing from all sides um, and from people in my community who represent a broad range of ideological points of view is that I think people are ready for change, that there's an acknowledgement that the system that we're existing in needs to be changed. And I think how to get there is a place where we're all disagreeing and the candidates are disagreeing and we're trying to figure that out. But I think that that's something people can agree upon. I think in that that there's a level of cynicism, I think, Mm -hmm. that some people have about what's possible. And, and I think that that might be contributing to some of the feedback that you're receiving in, in terms of asking people about whether they could see it. I, I have a friend that I went to middle school with who actually lost the student council election to in sixth grade and we're both very ideologically different. She's been a lifelong Republican and I've been a lifelong Democrat. And um, we talk about politics and often disagree on things, but one thing we do agree on is women's leadership and its importance. And so she did talk about how gender representation, becomes we'd both been in Girl Scouts was something that she had wanted to see for her daughter that um, and so even if she, the candidate she wasn't supporting were to win that the representation she rep- she recognized why that would matter and why that would be important so one of the things that um, she was saying to me is that she believed that we would, in our lifetime see a woman president, but that right now the systemic things she wanted changed from her side were the priority. And for and so what I was saying was that I think that the systemic things I want changed are connected to gender, mm-hmm. that even though I've been accused of so-called voting with my vagina <laughs> and all those sorts of <laughs> other things that have been said, um, I think that uh, I'm, I'm actually unapologetic about connecting my gender to the decisions that I'm making because I recognize that in a country where the political participation of women is pretty much close to in alignment with Saudi Arabia, which is also a country I've lived in and grown up in, which wow. has very different um, human rights standards for women, et cetera, and civil rights access and freedoms for women to understand that politically, in terms of political participation and representation in our government, we're not that far up as far off in the global rankings is really problematic to me. And so I think that For me, I think that systemic change and changing of the status quo, moving against the so-called establishment, as we've been hearing on all sides, is about electing a new way. It would be revolutionary, just like it was a revolutionary to have a black president. Um, It didn't mean that we became a post-racial country, and it's not going to mean that we're post-feminist if we do have a woman president. But it is going to change the conversation. It is going to show young women who never saw that possibility before that this is something that they can achieve and and that this the people who sh- will be appointed by a, f- a woman president um the supreme court how that could be impacted all of those things uh, matter and and we see that in terms of who the campaigns are hiring and and what teams have the most people of color and women represented, et cetera. So I think that having this conversation about gender being a part of one's strategy in in terms of determining who they're going to vote for is not problematic. But what I also want to say is that I also don't begrudge any woman to make the choices that feel right to her because um, I think that that's something that needs to be talked about as well in our movement that um, I will never shame a woman for um, determining how she's going to vote because feminism is ultimately about women having the right to autonomy and choice as well.
1: Well, absolutely. I always say when, when people say anything about voting with their vagina or my vagina, to me, I'm like, this is about representation. To what you said about um, President Obama, I think that one of the reasons people may think there's a big gap between being personally ready and thinking America's ready is I think a lot of us, some people were cynical. When President Obama was elected, but a lot of us had a lot of hopes and dreams for that this was gonna, this was a huge milestone, which it was, and that it re- represented huge change, which it did, and that it would reflect a society that was less racist, which as it turns out, it just kind of unveiled um, some racism that still really existed. And I think a lot of people think the same thing is going to happen if a woman is elected president, that it will unveil all the not so deeply buried misogyny and sexism. And I think that's my hypothesis about why that plays in. Um,
2: Which I'm glad you mentioned, because I think one thing that's been really hard for me to bear Um, and and watching all the things that I've seen go down in terms of this kind of particularly ugly cycle and how Mm -hmm. it's being played out in the media and in um, social media. In progressive spaces, it's unearthing misogyny. It's unearthing... coded racist dog whistle politics and positions of privilege that people have within it and so there are things that I have been feeling as a woman and as a person of color within progressive movements as well. It's bringing those things up to light and so as much as I don't enjoy (laughs) being a part of this moment where we're kind of having to face our ugliness, I do think that In order to change things, you first have to acknowledge that they're a problem first. And so that is something that is a possibility and an opportunity that's arising from this that that then we can address because it's out in the open.
1: I went my whole life working in male dominated industries. I had to start my own company to work in an environment of female leadership. Um, So, and there's no, there is not female leadership in any hall of power, not the media, not. Uh, enterprise slash corporate America, not government, and we're half the population. So I think representation really matters. It's so good that you, I like that you framed it like you started what you
2: hadn't seen created before, because I think that's a message that women need to hear that, you know, just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean that it's something that's not possible. I've really had to... um, push for that myself, just having had people tell me, oh, you can't do this thing because you're a woman or because you're black or because of all sorts of other things. And I've, you know, I really regret a statement that I made to Gloria Felt, who's been a mentor of mine. And she wrote this book about power and she interviewed me and asked me why I wasn't going to run for office because it's something that I've been encouraged to do. And I've been told by a lot of people that I'd be someone that would be a good candidate for that. And I've said on the record that I could not run because I didn't have any money. And that mm. I felt like I couldn't be a viable candidate. And so when I come back years later and I unpack that, and I think it was a very pragmatic thing. And I said, oh, well, I don't have any money. Like, in order to win campaigns in this country, <laughs> you've got to have that yeah. positional power. You've got to have the money, this or that. Um, if, and that. if Now I'm thinking about the women who've read that book people who um, have thought about that, who I've impacted, that I could have had a different response that would have more been like, I'm interested in taking my leadership to the next level, but I would need the support of my community and I would need the resources and investment that my community doesn't tend to hold. And, you know, you learn. But I think <laughs> seeing women who are doing things, even though that they were told they couldn't do them, I think is really inspiring because now I'm like, oh, maybe one day I will run for office. Mm-hmm, Whereas mm-hmm. 10 years ago, I said, oh, that's right. not for me.
1: Yeah, and I think ultimately and demographically, it's if the conversation doesn't happen, the change will happen with or without it. I think about, when we talk about representation, I think about my nephew who um, is biracial and He was six years old when President Obama was elected. You get asked that question all the time about what do you want to be when you grow up? And after the election, the next time he was asked, he said he wanted to be president. And he had never said that before. And every time I think about it, it really makes me emotional. And so when people say, why does representation matter? I'm like, that matters. That matters for him. And someday it's going to matter for half the kids that are being born in this country who are girls. And that's the hopeful and positive part that we are, you know, next generations are going to be a lot less confused and addled by having such diverse people running for office and winning office and being in leadership. I mean, ultimately, that's going to be the norm. But I wanted to ask you. One last question. Um, I understand you're working on a book about Beyonce and feminism. And of course, Lemonade just came out recently. Uh, and that was an amazing, visual and um, musical work of art um and i do you think that beyonce's embrace i mean she's strongly embracing intersectional feminism do you think that this is part of what can help bring more women into the movement and see themselves as part of it because she clearly sees herself as part of the philosophy part of the movement and a believer in, in what it's supposed to be about is this going to have broader impact
2: I love Beyonce and I think she's been one of the most fascinating figures of our time and what I love about Beyonce's feminism is that it's complicated and I think that that realness of her complicated feminism is more of Mm. the reality that most of us are experiencing when I look at her discography and I think about the first time I listened to Destiny's Child playing at an MTV spring break so now I'm dating myself by saying that, but um, the, seeing that and, and hearing the lyrics and the things they were talking about, which was kind of more girls empowerment light, you know, that was around the time when Spice World and, uh, and the Spice Girls were coming out there and it was more girl power, less feminism, less intersectional dialogue, but to see that as that analysis has moved forward in and, and the cultural conversation and personally for her through her life experiences, we've seen that her messaging and songs have also changed and so she's gone yes. from Say my name to Independent Woman to Formation. Uh, she is, and that is
1: huge. Well, and I love what she says after her last album came out, which was, you know, very sexual, both visually and musically. And she said, "Listen, I've grown up. My audience has grown up. I cannot stay. If I'm a role model, I'm a role model for grown ass women now." And I can't stay creating girl power music, basically. And, and, and this is what I love. She's a grown-ass woman, and she's talking about all aspects of that, and she's showing it to us visually, and she's you know saying it for us um so we can hear it it's a, it's an immersive experience really these last two albums she's done it's really um admirable and i and i hope it really makes that point that this is what it can look like moving forward and that's
2: what i love i mean i love the last one of the things i had been using with people who were online harassing me recently which is a major feminist issue um, yes. that i've been working on now is to send them the gift of serena Williams and Beyonce (laughs) saying, I ain't sorry, and Lemonade, (laughs) because I think a big part of the backlash um, against Lemonade, uh, Piers Morgan's backlash against it, for example, I think a lot of that is I don't like you when I don't get to define you.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that... And I don't like you when you fit in the box I've already made for you.
2: Exactly. And I don't like when you disrupt my understanding of you or when your identity confuses me. I remember once I was talking about, I'm talking to a man who was in a very powerful position who I felt said some things to me that made me really uncomfortable because they were a little bit uh, condescending, but there was also admiration in how he talked to me. And a friend who was an outsider looking in said, he does not know how to make sense of you. He doesn't understand a woman who is playful, a woman who is fashionable, a woman who fits into these standards that he's expecting, but then also someone who's owning her voice and being very strong and dominating this conversation that we were in, and he's trying to make sense of it, and my whole piece was that I don't need him to validate who I am, and I don't need him to make sense of it, and that's what I love about Beyonce, that she's really you know, dropping her own album with the last one and and producing it on her own, especially knowing her trajectory and having had her dad's hands so deeply in the shaping of her work and being accused of having Jay-Z have too much control over her creative work, I think that it was really a statement of her autonomy and saying that, you know, I run my own life, and one thing I like about her is that she's the CEO of Beyonce. She's the CEO of her own life, Mm -hmm. and Beyonce's running Beyonce, and that's something that I think that a lot of women and girls really can admire. And and then I, the last thing I want to say about her too is that she's lifting others as she climbs. Mm-hmm. And those are the women I want to hang out with. Those are the women who inspire me. And Amanda Stenberg is someone I've had the joy of being able to interview before. And um, she's been doing amazing work. But Amanda Law was in Lemonade and yeah. she was in there with all these other beautiful
1: sisters. Zendaya and, exactly. oh, and Quvengene who's so grown now. I didn't even write. I, I saw her name her. and I'm like, wait, Oh my God, she's like a young woman. It's
2: and to see what those girls had gone through. That these girls yeah. that she picked, you know, that Amanda, Law, when I interviewed her, I had written a piece called "Black Girl Lessons in Rookie," about this rite of passage that I'm really angry about. That all young black girls have to go through, where we kind of have to have the racism inflicted on us before other girls do. To have to recognize that there are people in the world who think you deserve less because of how you look and. Quivangene and Amandala had both been experiencing that in the same year. Um, Quivangene mm-hmm. with her name and the onion making a very heinous yes. joke about her. Yes. And Amandala being in the hunger, hunger Games and people being upset that her character was black. Yes. And so I think that just her showcasing those women alongside the mothers of so many people who had been harmed by police violence. That that that, that showing their strength across generations, I just thought was so beautiful and empowering.
1: Yeah, Totally. Thank you so much, Jamia, for coming in. And thanks for talking about the F word with us. It's my second favorite F word. So, um, <laughs> <Mine I'm, too. laughs> so I'm really happy to have such a great conversation about it. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. That's it for the first episode of the Who She Knows podcast, brought to you by She Knows Media. Next episode, we're going to talk about using humor to activate social awareness and change. Please tweet us or leave a message for us on Facebook. We want to hear from you. I'm your host, Elisa Camahort Page, Chief Community Officer of She Knows Media, and you can reach me personally at my Twitter handle at Elisa C. Thanks so much for listening.